powered by MPB. This is the MPB Student Council Podcast, hosted by members of MPB Student Council. To hear this episode and more, visit education.mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Media app to listen on your iPhone or Android device. Welcome to the Mississippi Public Broadcasting Student Council Podcast. My name is Natalie Ford. I'm a 10th grader at Warren Central High School and River City Early College. On this episode, we're here to talk about important members of our community. An essential part of every community is those who help it stay stable. A lot of times, community heroes like Dr. Ford can go unthanked for their hard work. By giving them spotlight on MPB, we thank all those who work hard to service their local areas. Dr. John Robert Ford is a part of my hometown, Vicksburg, Mississippi, and also my grandfather. I reached out to him because he spent most of his life helping and saving locals in my area. Dr. Ford, can you tell us your backstory and how you started in community service? Well, I think it would have started, Natalie, when I came to Vicksburg and started practicing medicine. The first step in any volunteering is that you have to have a need and you need to recognize that need and then try to fulfill that need. And so practice of medicine, one of the biggest problems we had was all of the multiple children that needed an athletic physical every year in order to participate in athletics. And the volume of doing 10,000 students was overwhelming. Not all of them played sports, don't get me wrong, but I helped organize and get started doing athletic physicals as a community. And All the doctors and nurses and the clinics and everything kind of pitched in. And we spent a couple of Saturdays and a couple of afternoons getting all the different athletic teams organized and prepared for the academic year. And so it was just fulfilling a need is the way that it started. And it was just such an opportunity to bring the community together because almost all the physicians helped in one way or the other. So it was just a good way to get started with it. Then volunteering just kind of grew. Again, in the practice of medicine, you would find different needs in the community that we started help to fill out from there. So as we get exposed to different needs in the community, that's how you start the volunteering and trying to figure out how to solve that need and to best manage it. Since you talked about being a doctor and how like that kind of helped you organize events in your community, how did COVID-19 affect you as, you know, a doctor and helping find those needs while staying medically safe? Uh, well, that was a, that's an interesting question. It certainly affected the way we approached everything. The needs are still there. And so what we had to do was just change our approach. Early on, that first month in COVID, it pretty much put a stop to everything. But then we began getting experience with the disease and we're able to figure out, you know, using masks, using social distancing and the different processes. And we had to adapt. As you know, I was involved in the rescue mission by this time. We were feeding over 600 people a day needing a meal. There are a lot of homeless and a lot of different needs. And so what we had to do was adapt. In other words, we couldn't use trays anymore. We had to get styrofoam trays that could be disposed of and use disposable equipment. Just adapting to the process was what we had to do. It was just a real necessary change in order to keep people safe. But after a month or two, we were able to pretty much come to a way of handling things. You know, for six to eight weeks, it was 
pretty tough. People were having to go without things until we got a handle on it. But as we adapted, we learned, and we were able to help people and continue helping people. It was more of a hiccup, but it was real. You said that you helped feed over 600 homeless people during that time. That's a really big number. What is the biggest accomplishment that you personally consider while you've been finding fulfilling needs in your community? That's an interesting question too, Natalie. Probably the biggest one, and this goes back a ways, when the AIDS epidemic first broke out, we went to the schools, to the junior and senior high schools, and a female pediatrician and I took the males and females, and we started answering questions and having a dialogue on what was happening with that. And there was a lot of people's lives changed during that time, and that was before we had the medicines. And so I think that that was probably my most interesting or important life-saving volunteering work that I ever did because so many young people were affected by the exposure to AIDS. And until we had medications after five years, for that five-year period, there was a lot of false rumors going around, things that we had to help clarify and to teach, particularly young people about the disease and the risk that they were taking out there. So that was probably the most important confrontational with disease volunteerism that I did in my career. My wife and I have done different ministries and different works. So it's all been good. And we've met a lot of interesting people and done a lot of, <laughs> a lot of things that you never think you would ever do, but that was part of what we did. It seems like you have a large range of experiences and different types of work that you've done. What do you consider your favorite memory, whether it's funny or whether it's a joyful memory that you've had throughout this whole time? Again, when you're doing volunteerism and things, there are funny stories that come out of different experiences. After Katrina hit our church, we went to the coast to help people down there. And we have a lot of really funny stories that you have to have humor when you're experiencing these things. And Sometimes the stories that people tell you highlight those humorous times and just help give everybody a relief sense. But we've had some funny experiences as we go through our time. I can't recall one right off the bat that I can really tell you, <laughs> but it was a lot of interesting kind of things that happened. So Mississippi ranks 50 in AmeriCorps.gov's volunteer ranking list. How do you think that you would personally be able to get more people in your community involved in volunteering? I don't know how I can necessarily do it other than what we've done throughout the years. The first thing is to recognize a need, find a need in your community. And if you're going to volunteer, it has to be something that's worthwhile and that there's a need for somebody to step up and fulfill a whole, whether it's serving in a school or serving in a soup kitchen or serving the homeless, you have to recognize and have a sincere want to help people. And as we go down our journey in life, the more that we experience that feeling of helping people, I think the biggest way to do that is just to encourage people to come and serve with you and encourage people to come and experience what you've experienced when you're volunteering and doing this work. People have to have strong personality in order to do this because 
it's sometimes it's very hard work in Mississippi after Katrina, it was a hundred degrees and you'd be in these houses, mucking them out, trying to get the mud and the stuff out of the houses. It's hard work. So you have to have that sense of self-satisfaction and have that strong will to help people. But you also have to have, be able to help get along with people and want to experience that human tie to help people. There was people that you wanted to help, but sometimes you couldn't help. And that's important too, to, to know that sometimes you can't help somebody. And then you have to try to direct them to another way of solving their problem. We had a wonderful lady that came into us when we were down on the coast and she just wanted a little help cleaning up her house. And then as my wife got to question her, we found out that the house was on the railroad track and all she wanted us to do was move the house back to where it was. But you have to be able to help people, but sometimes you also have to be able to handle them and say, you know, we can't help you. You're going to have to do something different. And so as you go through life with this volunteering, the first thing is to recognize the need and then to assess what you have as a resource to help solve that need and then try to start working with encouraging other people to help you and get involved in that. And I'll be honest, usually all of that is you do it one-on-one. -on -one. You have to go and just start asking people and communicating with people. You can send out a bulletin and, and that these things help in churches and schools and things, and I'm not discounting that. But I've just found that over the years, the best way you can get people to help is to start asking them and communicating with them directly and moving them into helping. And there are a lot of people out there who want to help. They just don't know how to help. So the more that you can communicate what the need is and how we can solve it, the better off, the more people that are going to get helped and the more people who will volunteer. When they see your satisfaction in it, then they will see and then realize that that's what they want. And so when you communicate to people, always communicate the joy that you get out of volunteering and helping people so that they understand what it means to help people and what they can get out of it too. Because if it's too detrimental to them, they're not going to want to keep doing it. So obviously, from the time that you started volunteering to now currently, a lot of things in the world has changed. Social media, do you think social media has better impacted the volunteering community or has it had a negative effect on it? What's your opinion on social media and how it adds to volunteering? Well, you know, I'm not being on how I do social media, so... For all of y'all, my granddaughter has to help me with social media. I think it certainly is not a hindrance to helping people. It's certainly a way to communicate what I was talking about. And so the more people that can communicate what's happening, what are our resources, what do we need, how can we accomplish this, look at the joy in the work that we do, the more we are able to communicate that, the better off we are. So I think social media can't do anything but help us in the sense that I don't see how it can ever be a detriment to it. And I think the more we can communicate to other people, needs and desires, the more volunteers we will get. What words of advice or motivation would you give to someone who was trying to start their own volunteer community, like specifically the younger generation of people? I would say that we need to start out with a need. If you're going to start, you're going to have to find a need 
And if it's not a real need, people aren't going to want to keep doing it. So find that need, find that area. And it has to be something you're interested in. And so when you do that, then you start building your organization again, one-on-one, include friends, include family, include schoolmates, friends at church and groups. Go to these small groups and people and start communicating it. Go start out one-on-one so you get your delivery down good so that you know what you're talking about. And then start going out to smaller groups and communicating that to a smaller group. And then just keep enlarging your pool as you draw people in. But most people want to try to make something too big too fast. And you have to be organized before you head out to get a bigger pool. So start small, start specific, and start at something that you are enjoying doing that encourages you to do what you're doing. Because if you really don't like it, you're not going to stay with it very long. Look for areas of interest and look for needs in that area of interest. And then start with your friends and work out. Increase your pool as you go far. I agree with that because my mom has her cat, the Trap and Rescue. It's called River City Kitties. And she started that because, you know, she's a huge cat person and she saw the need that there was a lot of stray cats and obviously stray cats, they multiply fast. You know, so she traps them and then they fix them and the local vet helps them out. So I do think it's really important to find that need. And even though it's a very small nonprofit organization, it's still one nonetheless. And then she helped found it. So I feel like what you said is really true and how you have to start small and then grow bigger. What do you think is the biggest, most impactful volunteering event that you've done? I think that the rescue mission is where we started out small with a soup kitchen and then we expanded it to a halfway house and we just developed it and and over a several year period grew it. And I think we finally merged with the rescue mission and brought our, all of our resources together and it's worked out much better. But when you feed 600 meals a day to people who really need it, And then the help that we do at the rescue mission and changing lives, I think without a doubt, that's probably the most impactful ministry that we've had on volunteer kind of organization, because it really, really does tremendous work. And we've had a lot of changed lives coming out of that program. So it's without a doubt, just feeding the people and the number of people that have gotten meals and find a home, a place to stay. And this sort of thing has been probably my most impactful um, volunteering that I've done. You talked about a lot of different types of things that your rescue mission offers. What are all the different areas and like the different things that the rescue mission does to help people? The first one is the feeding. We feed three meals a day. We have different people coming at different times. We have thrift store Our director, Ernie, he probably gives away more clothes than he sells, but we clothe people, we help people in need, provide places to stay. We can sleep 48 men in a night if we need to. We've tried to work with the women's shelter here too in in that month, but we also provide uh, weekly services in church and offer Bible studies, have a jail ministry out of there. Ernie goes down to the jail one day a week. So we try to keep that communication open with the sheriff. So we just provide different ways to help people in the community. 
So you're a pastor and you're obviously a Christian. So what's the name of your ministry and how do you think being a Christian has impacted your ability to volunteer and your motivation? Well, um, the name of it that we umbrella organization is Beyond Walls Ministry. That's where we help people each month. I think it's certainly a strength. Jesus called us to do these things. It's to help people, you know, it's to go forward. And it just changed the way that I went from primarily being with the schools and helping with the athletic physicals and things and started out there just helping people. But as I've also practiced medicine over the years, I've found the people in the emergency room in different places, the homeless and everything. So it just opened by starting out volunteering and helping people in needs and meeting those needs. It opens your eyes to seeing what's in the community. A lot of times we just walk right by and don't even recognize these problems. Of course, when I went into the ministry, it was just opening my eyes further to seeing those that were really in need. And so it's been an evolution over the last 40 years, 50 years of where I started and now where I'm finishing up. It has redirected, I guess, my focus on the community. And we really strive hard now to help the needy, the people that really are in need. And we're really having a a lot more of that in the last few years. COVID-19 certainly did a number on us. And so it's just been tough, but we're, we're getting there. So you went back to being a doctor and how you started out volunteering and helping with the athletic physicals and things like that. What else besides the physicals did being a doctor impact your ability to help people? In several different ways, Natalie. It exposed me to a lot of people as I went through my journey in Vicksburg. And so when you, it opened a lot of doors to meeting people and knowing people, if there was a need, I was able to know the people who could help meet those needs. So being a doctor certainly helped open up a lot of doors for us. Okay. And It also focused us on how being a doctor, you're used to seeing a problem and starting to work on that problem and not take your eyes off of anything. You need to solve this problem. It just, being a doctor helps you focus on one thing. And I think that's important when you're out there volunteering. I think another big trap in volunteering is people try to do too much. The bigger thing to do is to do one thing and do it well. And then if you can expand on it from there, but you need to make sure you're doing the one thing well before you move on to another project. So I think just scientific method, exposure to the community, exposure to the resources in the community, all these things, I think being a doctor helped open up the door to those things. Are you still practicing medicine or are you now doing all things related to your ministry? I still do some job sort of things. But I've retired from seeing patients. 42 years was enough. And and I was truly blessed on my journey. And so I was very thankful, but it was time for me to move on. The physical demands with the computer and everything else, it was just too much for me. And so I'm very happy. I, I did a long time and met a lot of people and helped a lot of people along the way. God has blessed us on this journey. You talked earlier about Katrina and how you went down to help during that time. Did you do anything for the recent rolling fork issue? We've helped through the church, but 
that was more just pure devastation. And that was more just cleanup. And we have started conversations on how to help people rebuild. And so those conversations are starting to come about, but they've been focusing so much now on just the total destruction and cleaning up and trying to get back. And we support the United Methodist Church Committee on Relief, and they've had a strong presence there. So we're working within some structured organizations. But as far as us, the rescue mission or any local organizations, we have not done anything in Roland for. So does Beyond Walls Ministry, do you focus more in Vicksburg or do you focus more statewide? No, no, it's it's mostly Vicksburg. We organized all of these missions, and like I say, with the jail ministry and the healing ministry and all the, the different things that we're called to do, we focused entirely here on, on Vicksburg and helping people. Natalie, there's so much work to do here now, it's, it's kind of hard to move on to anywhere else. It's, times are very hard for a lot of people now, and so we just have to focus. We got too much work here to do before we can move on. If another Katrina happened, I'm sure we would probably have to try to do something. But at this point right now, we just purely have to focus on Vicksburg and and doing what we're doing here. So I know that you've also done things in other countries to build up local areas in those countries. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I think that's, again, how we got started. My wife and I went on mission trips to Mexico City, and we did medical clinics there, and then we started helping and organizing and getting things organized to help build churches there and this sort of thing. But my wife and I, she's my nurse, and we did most of our work in clinics. That's how we started out with our shift from the schools and the things into the ministry. And when we did that, then we came back. We went to the Navajo Reservation. We went to Appalachia. We went to help with Katrina and different places. And then that's what enabled us to focus then on starting a soup kitchen here. And we developed the soup kitchen and then developed the halfway house and helping people as they came out of the mission and this sort of thing. So it really started with an overseas mission with my wife and I, and it just kind of grew in our church group. And we developed all these other ministries But again, this is what I was talking about. You start out small and you start out with a small group of people and focus on one thing. And if you do that, it will grow. But you need to make sure you get each one of them down right before you move on to another one. That's the way we built this ministry over the last 20 years. So you said a little bit about how you used to help in schools. What did that entail? What did you do there? Well, again, this was uh, mostly for me, it was mostly the athletic physicals. But I served on the school board for a period of time. And then we did the AIDS lectures when that was all coming down. And we, Betty and I spent about five years doing those, coming to the kids and teaching them about AIDS until the medicine started coming out. So for that four or five year period, it was very critical that what we were doing. And so it's taking medicine and primarily using it in different fields in the school and filling those needs. That's what we did during that time. The impact that you bear on your community is truly amazing. Was there someone who made an impact on you to make you realize that you wanted to volunteer or was it kind of a self-thought motion? Well, I don't think it was a self-taught. I think uh, over the years, I have been blessed by many mentors throughout when I was growing up. The doctors in my town, I always paid attention to them. 
one of the doctors was a Boy Scout leader, this kind of thing. So I guess it's just the many different people that I've come across throughout the years that have helped me understand that there's more to life than just going to work and that people have a need and we need to be helping. It takes a community to raise a child and that sort of philosophy. So I'm certainly okay with that. I don't know that there's any one person, but there's been just a lot of good role models in my life that I've been blessed with. Do you think that you volunteering and you doing this as your kids were growing up, do you think your volunteering has passed down through them and that kind of mentality has shown through what they've been able to do? I think your daddy says that. I mean, he's run for public office and he's serving the state of Mississippi is a very primary example, you know. Your Aunt Becca and different people are very big volunteering and work. And so it's part being part of the community. When you have small children, it's very hard to be part of the community. But as they grow, I'm certainly proud of all, all of them, all of my children who stepped up over the years and, and they're part of the community. And I would hope that as my grandchildren grow up, that they, and you're a fine example of this, but I would think that they would want to help be involved in the community too. When you care about people, that's what it's all about. And then it's finding those needs and then helping to solve those needs. Dr. Ford, thank you for everything you've done for our city. A famous quote by Muhammad Ali says, service to others is the rent you pay for your room here on earth. We hope those listening to this podcast will feel inspired to make a difference in their community. It starts with an idea and ends with changing lives. Something as simple as volunteering in your community can impact others for the better. You've been listening to the MPB Student Council Podcast. To hear this episode and more, visit education.mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Media app to listen on your iPhone or Android device. This podcast is hosted with love by ACAST. Thank you for tuning in. Before you go, please be sure to leave a positive review for NPB's Student Council podcast and subscribe to be the first to know when a new episode releases. See you next time.